Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, joined, as always, by my friend and founder and CEO of Startups.com, Will Schroeder. Will, one of the things we love to do is help founders with pretty much everything you can imagine and a whole bunch of things you can't. And yet, despite all this help that we love to give, what's one of the hardest things for founders to do? Even try to ask for it. It seems so foreign, right? It seems so foreign. And there's a million reasons why, but founders suck at asking for help. Like they're either bad at finding it, bad at asking for it, <laughs> you name it. But it's a big problem because a lot of the stuff they're about to do, like folks listening, but things you're about to do have been done a thousand times before. You don't need to invent anything. You can literally just ask us or you know, not just us, but other advisors, et cetera. And chances are like, for example, I help people with pitch decks, right? Ryan, you help people with marketing. Everyone comes to me with their pitch deck and it's horrible. Not because they're super smart, no issues there. Everyone comes to me with their pitch deck and it's horrible because they've never built a pitch deck before. Like why, why would you would know they? how to do it? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Why would you have built one? So everyone freestyles it. Everyone kind of makes up what they think a pitch deck should look like, or they go online, they Google it, and they get like the Airbnb template for how to like raise money, which by the way is a terrible pitch deck. Regardless, great company, terrible pitch deck. They come to us and they're like, oh my God, you know, I'm frustrated. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Or, hey, I think I'm done. What do you think? Right. In both cases, it's like, oh, wow, this needs tons of work, which is cool. That's what we're here for. But the reality is, had we not prompted them, these are folks that have joined our platform, the startups.com platform, and I've actually raised their hand to say they need help. Even then, it's hard to convince founders to actually ask for the help. What's your version of this look like for you? Oh, man, it's the same thing, right? People come and, you know, maybe they've got a couple channels figured out, but they've, they've plateaued or maybe it's brand new and they're just trying to figure out how to scratch the surface on like, hey, we've heard customers are a good thing for our startup. Where do we find them? I'm like, hang on, let me push my magic button. <laughs> right. uh, and then it turns into a bunch of work, right? And, you know, they, they may even have some channels that are performant and they think it's peaked and then we dig in and it turns out there's actually a lot more room there than they thought. Or they think there's a channel that's working well for them because they're getting users, but maybe it's an exorbitant cost or maybe they really have high churn rates. And so it's not as good as it looks. But again, how would they know? They don't have a benchmark, a baseline. What they can see is what they can see. They don't know what they don't know. And that's the real challenge, right? And, and I think that it's one of those cases where I see this play out in two ways. One, they didn't know that they needed to ask for help. They're just like, I thought it was fine, right? Like in the case of the pitch deck, like, here's my pitch deck. It's awesome, right? And you're like, ooh, <laughs> not so much, right? Or here's my Facebook ad copy. And I'm like, just pure cringe, right? The other one is that they don't want to ask for help. <laughs> and in that scenario, I can't help but always see like both of my parents sitting on their shoulder, like angel and devil style from like the Looney Tunes, right? With love, my dad I going, I'm going to find it. I know where we're going. And my mom is like, George, just pull over and ask for directions, right? That classic, classic scene. And this is pre-GPS. This is pre-cell phones. So you literally had to stop and be like, hey, we need help, right? And it never happened. I don't know how many hours we spent just going in circles, you know, and metaphorically, this is exactly what happens uh, within a startup company when they're just either unsure of who to ask for help or uncomfortable asking for help, or, and we know this happens all the time, they ask for help, but they ask the wrong people and they get mediocre or even in some cases bad advice. And then shit really goes off the rails, which then guess what? 
Now they're really hesitant to ask for more help in the future because that didn't go well, right? Just a disaster all around. You know, it's funny. I've got this, this memory where my wife and I were in the um, delivery room. And, uh, you, you know, there, there's that period pre-delivery. We were just kind of just hanging out. To be fair, we were just hanging out. <laughs> we were just hanging out. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> there was like, more going on for them. <laughs> and so, so she's just sitting there on her phone, just like killing time, right? Waiting for stuff to happen. I'm on my laptop. And for some reason, I was on YouTube and I was Googling uh, something along the lines of how to build like a workbench, like, you know, carpentry kind of thing, right? And I find this video where this guy starts to explain like how to create actually a pretty cool workbench. Now, now, to be fair, my head probably should have been somewhere else because a couple of important things were going on like a few feet from me. But I remember being engrossed in this. Now, here's why I bring this up. It would have never occurred to me to ask anyone how to build a workbench. I just assumed that like I have some basic fundamental skills and it's kind of a rectangle and it can't be that hard. Yeah, need some legs. Yeah. And this guy starts talking about what in retrospect is fairly basic stuff, but to me was like the most incredible thing ever. So now I'm binging. I can't get enough of this, right? (laughs) And and I'm learning about why I'm using screws versus nails and I'm learning how to like cross cut wooden and all this stuff. And I'm like, babe, you're not going to believe how much I'm learning. And she's looking at me with like the coldest steel eyes. Like, what are you talking about? I've got a lesson I'd like you to learn. It has nothing to do with building a bench. So Sarah reminds me of that every single time I talk about carpentry. But my point is (laughs) this light bulb moment went off in me at that moment that I actually could learn something if I just asked for help. Now, I know that sounds dumb, right? It sounds crazy. But I got to say, it was the first time and it almost happened by accident. I wasn't even like trying to ask for help, but I actually got help from someone who actually had all the answers to the test. And it just set this chain of events where I was like, well, if someone on YouTube could teach me that, what else could they teach me? And from there, I went on to learn carpentry, electrical, plumbing. I learned architecture. I learned 3D modeling. I learned 3D rendering. Like I learned all kinds of stuff, right? And it turned out all I needed to do was learn to ask. And that became my superpower. I became really good at just saying, hey, I can actually do anything and do it probably pretty well if my first effort is to find out who the expert is and again, get those answers to the test, so to speak. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It's the antithesis of what I was talking about, which is when help goes bad, you don't seek it again. But the minute you get that help that actually works, the endorphin rust, the dopamine levels just skyrocket. And you're like, this is amazing. And we see this play out all the time in founder groups, right? When we are talking to founders in the accelerator and like I had a, I had a workshop last week and someone was like, wow, this is incredible. This is amazing. Like who else should I talk to, right? So all of a sudden they were like, wow, this, this went well. Now I want 10 more people that I can ask questions and get help from, right? Which is exactly how it should work. It is so hard to ask though. I think it's the breaking that seal is the hard part. And I think that comes from a lot of places. I think the one that I see most often is that early stage founders tend to be a little uncomfortable describing or talking about their startup in general, let alone like some specific challenge they're having. So like they get nervous about even having to explain to somebody what they're doing let alone have to explain to them what they're doing in order to get help in the first place. So it's like this compounding effect of just things that founders find painful. I agree. I I also think with that, as founders, we're used to to giving help, <laughs> yep. right? Because it's it's kind of our job, right? Like everything rolls back to us. So we're used to like basically supporting everyone else by way that we're not used to getting help. And 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 I'm going to point to myself uh, in that same capacity. 
for my entire 30 year career, I've always been a founder and I've always been a CEO. It's kind of the only real job I've ever had. And because of that, everything stopped with me. You know, problems always get, get bubbled up, right? Why well, nowhere? There's no more bubble. Like after it gets to me, there's nowhere for it to go. So if someone on the team is having a problem, they come to me and say, hey, can you help me fix this? I, I'm naturally used to that. Like that's the way things go. I'm also not naturally having used to having anywhere to turn to say, oh, this is probably better solved by someone else. I developed this bad habit, the really bad habit of assuming that I had to have the answer every time which was a colossal mistake because I had no idea how much I was holding back by just not even asking, right? Again, this the, the habit and that, that built-in muscle was really working against me. It took me a long time to figure this out. Ironically, that carpentry story was exactly the moment where I was like, huh, A, I should probably be asking more questions and B, I should probably be focused on my child being born, right? <laughs> which I was reminded of many times. It's amazing how many of these life lessons come from these funny other places and then we end up applying them to our startup companies, right? I want to focus on something there, which is that I think there's a there's a slightly different problem. Right? You're talking about this over a 30-year career where like, some of these habits have been, you know, been made concrete. And there's a later stage problem there that happens where like, you know, the buck stops with you and things bubble up. At the early stages, there's often no one else there. Right. So there's, there is literally no one else. It's not that like you don't have the confidence to go to them. It's not, it, there's just no one else there. And at the really early stages, all the questions that get asked are your invention, right? The answers have to come from, right? If you're building something that's never existed before, it seems like, okay, so how will the product work? Well, let me make it up, right? This is literally the process. I will make up what the product's going to do right now. And so much of this is just imagination that then you try to make real in the early stages. We get so used to being the only one who has the answers, at which point that equation starts to turn a bit. And it's like, okay, now we're on the other side of this. And there is a bunch of stuff that's already been figured out. We figured out our product. We figured out our early team. We figured out our, our messaging, our values. We figured out the basics of what we are. But it turns out there's a whole lot of commonality, you know, like Facebook ads. Yeah, they're going to be different from your company to the next. But there are a whole bunch of learnings and billions of dollars have been spent on that platform figuring that shit out. So why don't we ask somebody, right? This is where we have to all of a sudden realize it's not a good idea to keep inventing the answers, right? There's a point at which that has to happen. And there's a point at which that really needs to stop. And that's when you need to start asking for help. You know, one of the interesting things is that that we get to see so many startups over such a long period of time that we get to kind of dissect. And I think this would be interesting to founders listening. We get to dissect the difference between what is a unique problem to your startup, I mean, it hasn't been encountered before, yeah. and what every startup faces, and you're just facing your version of it. I'll give, go back to the pitch decks, for example. You might be thinking, well, my pitch deck's different, you know, because my <laughs> business is different than everybody else. Yes, it sure is. Sure it is. Yeah. Right? <laughs> to be honest, I see thousands of pitch decks. On average, they are one to 2% different at most, at most than every other pitch deck I've ever seen. Now, what does that imply? That implies that there's a lot of repeatable formula there. And we, we've created a lot of that. I mean, literally we have whole courses that explain to you, this is exactly the formula. And there's a 98% chance it's going to apply to exactly what you're doing because at the end, they're all the same. Now, because of that, the danger for a founder by not finding that formula, that common ground that works every time, and again, just freestyling it, looks something like this. I go to create a pitch deck. Instead of following a formula where I can know exactly what to say for every slide and have only the amount of words and slides, et cetera, I decided to turn it into a brochure. 
I put paragraphs of content on every slide. I have a 48 page pitch deck. And I believe wholeheartedly, the only way the pitch deck will be effective is if I've answered every possible question <laughs> that a founder or an investor could have yep. in my pitch deck. Right. Here's an encyclopedia on my business. I know you want to read this. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Nobody wants to read that. And so again, using this example, we'd come back and we'd say, okay, a couple things. Number one, you need 12 slides. Number two, you want one sentence, maybe two sentences on each slide. And number three, your job isn't to answer every possible question. <laughs> How right. cool would it have been to know that before you just created a 48-page slide and spent months doing this, right? So I think about that in terms of how many different things founders are going to go on colossally bad adventures for. They don't have to. That they, they, they could have asked the right person. But here's the twist. They don't know who to ask. Yeah, that's a big problem. Yep. Because everything we're saying implies that you knew to call us, to call Will and Ryan and talk about your customer acquisition, your pitch deck, your funding, whatever. But most people don't know to do that. And they're not being specific to us. I mean, they don't have people in their world that they can talk to. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah, no, they don't. Either either they they don't have founder peers or they've got peers who are kind of all at that same stage. You know, people love to group themselves together because, oh, we're all facing the same problems at the same time. That's great. You can commiserate. But how the hell are you going to solve them? Right. If none of you have taken the test, then you're all just sitting around going, man, I'm really scared of what's about to happen next. Right. Not a great spot to be in. This is why you have to seek out founders who are further down the road than you are or people who have literally dedicated their lives to solving founder issues or whatever the challenge you're about to go after is, right? The likelihood that your business is so innovative that no one can answer the questions about it is pretty close to zero. And I would argue if it is that innovative, then you're probably going to really struggle to get it off the ground because customer adoption is going to be damn near impossible, right? So it's, so it's about finding people with relevant experience, not too far ahead, but certainly not behind you, certainly not irrelevant advice. You know, you and I have, have taken a couple of pot shots at organizations like SCORE, which, uh, you know, is it's a great idea. Uh, and I think there was a time and a place for it. Works well if you're building something that's already been built a million times. We also take some pot shots at accountants. So let's just pretend you're starting an accounting consultancy. <laughs> SCORE is probably a great place to go because it's full of retired accountants. If you're doing anything else, probably slightly less relevant. So getting that who right is so super, super important. We did an entire episode on this around like, you know, what the, the cost of like getting good advice versus getting bad advice and how to make sure that you're getting good advice. So ask for help, but be really clear that the source is actually relevant and can help you at the end, which is a calculus in its own right. You know, something that's really funny about everything we talk about here is that none of it is new. Everything you're dealing with right now has been done a thousand times before you, which means the answer already exists. You may just not know it, but that's okay. That's kind of what we're here to do. We talk about this stuff on the show, but we actually solve these problems all day long at groups.startups.com. So if any of this sounds familiar, stop guessing about what to do. Let us just give you the answers to the test and be done with it. Let's talk about that a little bit, though, yeah. because, you know, it's going back to a lot of founders will say, well, OK, sure, I could ask for advice from someone else. Like you just said, how do I know that's good advice? I'll give you a great example of bad advice. And this is what we talked about in, a, in, a, in another episode about getting bad advice from God. I hope you're not about to quote me. Yeah, right. <laughs> They're all you want to retain. I believe 99% of advisors are well-meaning. So, so oh, yeah. again, even yeah. as we're, we're kind of picking on score, we, we both agree that they're well-meaning, even if maybe they may not give out the best advice all the time. Here's the problem. 
if I don't know the difference between good advice and bad advice, I don't actually know that I'm getting bad advice. That's the problem. That's it. That's it. You just take it wholesale and apply it. I assume that if someone knows something about a topic that I don't, that they must be good at it. Actually, the funny thing, I'll go back to my whole carpentry journey, is what I learned there. There's some guys working on my house. And I'll never forget, this guy was building a giant closet for my daughter. And um, it was coming up beautifully. He was doing the whole thing uh, you know, from scratch, custom. And, uh, and I asked the guy, I said, how are you getting like everything so perfect? Like, are you just incredibly at measuring? He's like, well, what I do is I cut something and I put it over and I, and I see if it fits. And if it doesn't, I cut it again. I'm like, you're kidding me, right? He's like, and if it doesn't, and I cut it again. Yeah, <laughs> That's actually your method? Now, That's at it. the time, he wasn't entirely wrong. But at the time, he knew way more than I did. And I was like, I guess that's the answer. That's how this works. Right? Yep. If I hadn't gone to the YouTube and found there are some other ways to do this a little bit better, I would have assumed his, his word is gospel. And this goes back to the same thing. Somewhere out there, there's a quote that says, measure once, cut 15 times, right? <laughs> exactly. And so, again, what I started to learn, you know, kind of in that process where I was, you know, the, the amateur was that there are lots of ways to do things. And there's a lots of different opinions. And all those opinions do not hold equal weight. No, they do not. So in other words... If I go to my best friend and I say, you're just metaphorically, and I say, hey, I've got this problem at work and they have no idea what I do, not necessarily the best expert. They may be a cool dude otherwise, but probably the wrong person to talk about this. If I go to another founder and that founder doesn't have the same experience or the right experience, they're going to give me shitty advice, right? Again, well-meaning, but shitty advice. I think for founders specifically, there are places you can go to get solid advice. A few off the top of my head, again, I, I don't want to self-promote here, but that's kind of what we do at startups.com. That'd be kind of silly not to mention that. But even if you don't use us and you're fine not to, find other founders. That's usually where I find the, the best advice. And then the second is get two competing answers, right? Or get two of the same answers. Either way, get more than one opinion because you will get very different opinions on how everything should be done. Yeah, I always encourage people like, here, here's the way I see this, here's what I think, but this is one person's perspective. Clearly, it's an aggregate perspective of everything that we've done as a company, everything that I've done as an individual, and a lot of learnings that we've taken away from working with thousands and thousands of other founders, which puts us in a really interesting spot, but it's still my interpretation of all that, right? And, and I only have, we always only have so much time to develop context, and so, you know, doing that across two, three people is a much better way of kind of getting the answers to the test, right? And being able to, to normalize the outcome to something that actually works for you. Because there's times where it's like, I may, I may promote something to somebody like, hey, you know what would actually be a great way to do this? You know, this would be a great time to build a personal brand, right? You would be amazing. And they're just like, yeah, in their head, they're thinking like, yeah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be the face of this company in that way. I don't want to build this around me as an individual. So that's not going to work for me, right? might be a great idea, might be a great tactic, great piece of advice, but it's something that they don't feel comfortable with, don't want to do, or can't pull off, don't have the resources for it. whatever the reason is, they're going to need a different perspective, a different piece of advice in order to move forward, right? And so it's always, always good. I would even say like, if people are giving you advice without suggesting that you seek additional perspective or give it more thought or work on it further, just take this wholesale and run with it, right? If they're pitching you a playbook might not be the best way to go, depending on the situation. Like you said, there are certainly things that just have like, 
consistency, right? In approach. If we hear somebody saying like, yeah, I need to get three more opinions on the, the, the format of my pitch deck or the order of the slides or something like that. It's like, yeah, this has kind of been figured out, right? And this has been fed back to us across thousands of investor interactions. So you're probably okay with this one, right? But for most other things, particularly soft skill stuff, right? If we're talking like HR issues, get opinions, right? Get multiple points of view and perspective and make sure that you are considering the validity and, and value of the advice, right? If you ask for advice from somebody you know, on an HR front, right? And then you look at the organization, you're like, you guys are a basket case. So probably not the right person to ask. Great at driving revenue, <laughs> but like you're constantly firing people, maybe not the right person to ask, right? So just consider all of the factors that you can when considering your source. Yeah, and I, I think that we look at advice as some sort of weakness for us, right? Oh, you know, I, I guess I can't figure it out myself, so I'm asking for advice. And that's bullshit. The weakness is not asking for help. The weakness is actually the ego that I must know the answer just somehow intrinsically because I'm so fucking cool. Like the truth is, you've literally got to go out and seek out that advice and compare your answer to other answers to know whether you're even in the same ballpark. The way we do things at startups.com in general is we say, none of us has the answer. Let's go figure it out. We come up with some hypotheses of what we think it might be, but we're like, I feel pretty good about not knowing the answer, right? Like, I think I've gotten over that part, but I've gotten really good at saying there's somebody else out there that has it. Ryan, when you and I want to do some new marketing experiment, invariably lands with who else out there has already done this right? And what can we learn from them? We know that we can't take what they did wholesale and just apply it because their experience was their experience. It was with a different product. It was a different set of conditions, different budget, whatever. The point though is we can take that. We take that knowledge and say, okay, let's avoid some of those dumb mistakes, things we were just about to do. And they were like, that's amateur one-on-one. Right. I'll give you an example. When we talk to people about fundraising and they're like, hey, I just found a, a list of investor emails. I'm going to BCC everyone and huh? I'm going to huh? tell them it's an awesome opportunity and right. I'm going to drop my 50 megabyte PowerPoint attachment uh, into it. You mean your landscape format business plan? Right. That's that's <laughs> what I call those. <laughs> and, and I joke because it's funny because everyone's done it. Right. It's funny because like it's such a dear all. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like a rite of passage, right, for all of us. But what if you didn't do that? In other words, what if we could say, yeah, you know what, that actually never, ever, ever, ever works. So don't do that, but do this instead. And this actually might work. I think the cost of not asking, and by way that the cost of doing things wrong is so incredibly high for what it is that we do, that not being good at asking or not knowing who to ask is a huge penalty, you know what I mean? For sure. There's a nuance here too, which is that there's a difference between getting advice and getting perspective and experience, right? There, there are times where, and, and I think, right, so there are times where you're going to somebody who has the answers to the test. Then there's times where you may just be getting experiential feedback, like, so, oh, you've run hundreds of thousands of dollars in Facebook ads. How has that worked? Like, they may not have even achieved success. And in some cases, I've learned a ton by talking to people who absolutely screwed it up, which tells me, don't do that, right? How did you do this? Why didn't it work, right? And you're just gaining experience and perspective from people as opposed to kind of like that, that direct and pointed advice. And I think for people who are having trouble asking for help, this is a great transition to that, which is sort of like, how did this work for you? I'm not telling, I'm not asking you to tell me what to do. I'm asking you to explain how this worked for you, right? And I think it's, it's again, it's a good way of gathering not just the, the action, right? Because if somebody tells you, go do this, right? 
it loses a lot of context. And how do you really apply it to your situation? Because, you know, even if there's only a three, 4% variance between your business and theirs, that can lead to major differences in results and outcomes. Absolutely. Or timing or anything else. Yep. All these things, right? So it's, it's important to get that, the kind of the, the broader context and like, what did you do? How did it work? As opposed to how should I do this, right? So I think another part of this entire thing is when you do go to ask for help, think about how you're asking for it, right? If you're asking for the answers to the test, make sure it's a test that's consistent, right? If it's something like the SAT where they change the questions every year, be careful, right? If it's customer acquisition, which is constantly evolving, moving, new channels appearing, things going in and out of vogue, um, competitor budgets changing and moving and, and just making things difficult, lots of stuff goes on there, right? Or just, you know, the, the popularity of a platform for things like a pitch deck that stay nice and consistent. You know, we, we don't want to see you innovating there, right? Like anytime somebody comes, I'm, I'm sure like this just strikes fear in your heart. We're like, look, we have this really innovative way we're going to deliver our pitch deck. And you're just like, fuck, no, please like, don't, don't do that, right? <laughs> Not the time to innovate, right? Not the time. Right. I think people get hung up in their projects too, as far as like, you know, whatever they're working on, whether it's marketing, pitch deck, whatever. And they get like too busy to ask for help. I used to run into this all the time. I was always like, by the time I, I track the people down and ask for help, whatever, I could have already just solved the problem. It's the reason, ironically, I've never had an assistant in 30 years, even though we own a virtual assistant business, is because I'm always the person that's like, by the time I would ask for help, Again, I could have just done it myself. Hey, you know, I can help you with your inbox or your calendaring or your travel or whatever. I'm like, it takes two seconds for me to do it myself. It's really not helping me. Now, that mentality, that mentality of I'm too busy to ask for help has also one of been one of my biggest drawbacks. My biggest drawbacks because for a very long time in my career, I just looked at asking for help as a huge hurdle. Like, oh God, now I got to track all these people down and, I, and I'm probably going to get bad advice and I'm probably going to have to go do it myself anyway. So I'll just go do it myself anyway. Well, again, I keep bringing, keep bringing this back, but like that whole carpentry thing kind of opened my eyes up where I was like, hey, you know, instead, how about I start making investments in finding the right answer first and then go spend a bunch of time? And it took me a long time to get there. I don't think everybody's like that. What was it like for you? It's similar, right? It was always the the case, and I think this is a this is an interesting one because it's it's a bit specific to to startups, right? And what I mean by that is if you look in a corporate environment, a, a mature business, let's just say you're you're still an executive, maybe even a high level executive within within an established business you know what the return on that investment of time to get the help looks like because you're assuming that you're going to solve a problem that will have an ongoing impact and ROI for the business. So much of what we do in the startup space is pure guesswork that we don't know. We're like, okay, we want to try this thing, but we have no idea if it's going to kind of last off into the future and provide us a long-term ROI and whatever that help we got was, right? So we don't necessarily know that passing the test even gets us where we want to be. And so seeking help to pass the test can feel more painful in our space, right? So I think that, you know, in, in my case, it was a, a lot of those same kind of things, right? It was like, well, I could just do this myself. I could just do this myself. After you've done it yourself about 400 times, you've certainly passed the point of like, there would have been great ROI in getting help on this and knowing how to do it the best way possible, how to be more efficient at doing it, or maybe even like there's an entirely different approach that would have been better in a number of ways, right? But even if just little things like time savings, right? Yeah, you can do, you can do your own calendaring in two minutes. I'd argue it probably takes a little longer than that, but you know, you can handle these things yourself, sure. 
But at some point, right, those individual, those tiny little cuts add up, right? Oh my God, right? And then, then you find yourself in that position where like, okay, I guess I better learn how to swim, right? Not a great time to learn how to swim, right? When we're already <laughs> overwhelmed, it's a really tough time. This is actually what creates that problem. I'm too busy to ask for help. That's not because you're too busy to ask for help. It's because you ask too late. The way that I look at it is I think for a lot of folks, they've got these issues and they're timely. And a lot of the help that they're trying to get isn't timely. For example, whenever I, I ran um, funded companies where we had boards, et cetera, we'd have our quarterly board meetings. Well, that advice is great like in general, but the, the issues I was having aren't good for six weeks from now when we happen to have a board meeting. Like I've got somebody that needs to get fired today. Like, like I can't like get consensus in six weeks. Pants on fire right now. Yep. Right. In the same way that when we work with people at startups.com, I try to make myself as available as possible. I'm like, look, you can get me on Slack. You can get me on email. You can get me on a one-on-one -on -one call. Like, like, There's a lot of ways to get a hold of me. And that's hard for me because that's a lot of input. Same for you, right? All the time. But the reason I make that available, the reason we make that available is because we know that in the startups uh, timeline, they need to get stuff done. If a person's out there raising capital and they're putting their pitch deck together, I can't be like, hey, schedule a meeting for me in a month from now and we'll review your pitch deck. Like that doesn't help the startup at all. Again, yep. it makes my life harder because I've got all these folks messaging me all the time. It's also my job to help them. But my point is, I think we need timely advice. I think if we're going to seek counsel that's out there, we need counsel that's also willing to respond to us quickly. Otherwise, the problem dies. Or more importantly, if I say, hey, Ryan, I need your help. I'm like, cool, so let's get together in two weeks. I'm like, dude, a lot's going to happen in marketing in two weeks, right? Like, ergo, I probably won't even have this problem in two weeks. Or I'm going to go down this path without you because I can't wait. Yep, already blew the budget, right? <laughs> right, right. The advice also has to be timely. The people that you're asking have to be around soon enough and they have to be smart enough. And if they're extra, extra cool, they'll also be smart enough and self-aware enough to say, you know... I'm pretty good at this, but there's someone a lot better at this that I can talk to you about. I got yesterday that, that I was talking to, and we we're talking through his pitch deck, and he was trying to build a gaming company. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm a gamer, so like, I know a little bit about games as a gamer. But at the same time, if you're getting into the gaming space, there's a few people I know that are actually way better to give this specific advice. Let me send them your way. And I think finding advisors that are that are accessible, I think finding advisors that are are willing to tell you when they're only giving you part of the picture, they're invaluable. You know what I mean? Super, super. So let's tie a couple things together here because this is really interesting now. So you've got the timely piece. And then something else that you talked about was really important there, which was you also have enough context about what you know and what you don't and enough context about what that startup's trying to solve to be able to point them to somebody else. So in addition to being timely, there is something to being around for a longer haul, i.e. like maintaining connectivity on yeah, a longitudinal yeah, yeah. basis with people you're getting advice from. I think one of the challenges that we see is when people start to just jump around and kind of like, you know, uh, you know willy-nilly pick experts who seem to solve the problem they're having in the moment, that's fine. But you also need somebody who's kind of there over a longer period of time who has that context, understands not just where you are now in the moment and getting that timely advice and is accessible, but also has some of your history, right? So with the, uh, I'm running new workshops now where I'm starting to see a lot of the same faces over and over and over again, and we're solving new challenges week after week after week. 
But I also have the historical context of everything else that they've done, which makes me insanely more powerful from an advisory standpoint, right? I know what they've already been through, what we've tried, right? Because you have to go through that each time, rerun the rigmarole. It wastes a ton of time. The advice becomes less timely, less powerful, less contextualized. And so in addition to, so this goes back to like the ask for help early, right? You know, seek people who, who can respond and see people who can be there over a longer period of time. So build your founder community, right? Join into founder communities, join the, like a startups.com and the accelerator, right? There's so many things that you can do to be part of something that will help you get the advice you need when you need it, right? Yeah, I think that getting advice, it's hard. I mean, it's actually hard to do it well, but if, if I had, if I could go back and I could like develop a muscle that I had not developed as a founder early in my career, it would have been getting advice, which I've actually become very good at, I think, later in my career now, again, in, in kind of a process that I would have never expected in a totally different business around carpentry and stuff. But now that I get it, now that I really understand how valuable it is to prep ahead of time, to be able to say, ah, okay, something a little out of my wheelhouse, which is usually most things, First step, let me talk to a few of the people I know or seek out the information, Google, what have you, in order to get a foundation for what questions I should be asking and who has the answer. But I think the most valuable part of all this is knowing that in every case where I'm I'm a little bit off in some way, again, I'm missing something, someone does have the answer. And the only mistake that I can make is not seeking it out. So in addition to all the stuff related to founder groups, you've also got full access to everything on startups.com. That includes all of our education tracks, which will be funding, customer acquisition, even how to manage your monthly financers. There's so much stuff in there. All of our software, including BizPlan for putting together detailed business plans and financials, LaunchRock for attracting early customers, and of course, Fundable for attracting investment capital. When you log into the startups.com site, you'll find all of these resources available.